listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. In this episode, I interview HKUST Associate Professor of Social Science Education, Julian Groves, about his experience in transitioning his course to a fully online format. Julian discusses the benefits of online teaching, such as creating engaging, bite-sized lecture videos and allowing students to revisit the material multiple times. We also discuss some of the challenges and time investment in creating online courses, uh, the importance of seeking feedback for lecture content and clarity, and sharing experiences and resources to help others interested in online teaching. And welcome to another episode of the Enlight podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having on our show Julian Groves. Uh, Julian is an associate professor of social science education in the Division of Social Science. And he was awarded the Michael G. Gale Medal for Distinguished Teaching in 2019. He teaches and conducts research on migrant domestic workers, youth, gender, and education in Hong Kong. And it's a real pleasure to have you on the show, Julian. Thank you for inviting me, Sean. Uh, you, you and I have talked a lot about teaching and learning over the years. And one of the things that in our conversations I've learned about is your recent venture into fully online teaching. Yes. And so I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Maybe if you could tell us about your inspiration behind converting your course into a fully online format. Well, you know, I'd like to say that this was some great pedagogical design in the future of education. But the reality is much more mundane. I've been teaching a number of large classes for 20 years and uh, I was getting quite tired of giving these same lectures again and again and my voice was pretty rough after all of this and I was actually thinking of resigning from teaching, hanging up my teaching hat and focusing more on my writing. But then the chair of my division then, uh, Professor Wenfang Tang, mentioned to me that um, he used to teach a class at 8.30 in the morning in the Midwest of the United States when it was uh, below zero and he'd have hardly any students show up for this class and he thought that he would correct this by putting the lectures online and they were very grateful to this and this is what started him on his journey into online teaching and he suggested that I did something similar. Yeah. It's always based on our immediate needs, isn't it? How can we make our lives better? Uh, Coming from Canada, I also know those terrible mornings at minus 20. So this is something new to you then, converting it to a fully online course. Can you maybe go through and describe to us a little bit about the process of designing it? What were the key considerations that you had to keep in mind? Well, first of all, um, how long should these online videos be? Everyone I spoke to, including people in your department, suggested that students lose interest somewhere between six and ten minutes and that these should be very short. And then how to record these videos? Um, What software to use? Well, I'm not very technical and I didn't want to have to come into a, a formal recording studio. That wouldn't feel natural to me. Of course, we've all been using PowerPoint for many years, so I thought I'd use the voiceover PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. I'd been attended a few seminars, and that had the added advantage of you can easily edit the videos by simply replacing slides and updating them. And since I already knew that software and was familiar with it, that's what I settled on. Then there was a further question of uh, whether I should actually appear in the videos or not. Should it just be a video of me talking? And I tried a few videos like that, but I found it terribly distracting. 
I was worried that students would be distracted by, you know, was I wearing something different today? Did I look different today? Uh, the PowerPoint slides would be coming up, my little head talking in the window there. Um, so I decided instead to replace myself with an emoji. And I was introduced to the software Bitmoji, yes. which allows you to create a cartoon character of yourself with many different facial expressions. It really is a fantastic app. That allowed me to develop a kind of online personality that the students could gain some familiarity with and would give me a presence, even though I wasn't actually physically in the video. Uh, and the final consideration, which I, I'm sure we'll probe a little more after that, is what kind of face-to-face -face contact, if any, should I have with the students and how to create a sense of community when we're all just watching the videos you know, on our own. I dealt with this in a number of ways. Firstly, with um, setting up a discussion forum board uh, on the, with various topics on the Canvas website. And then before the examinations, I'd have uh, an office hour. Students wanted to consult me. And then I had a face-to-face -face examination at the end, and they could actually meet me in person there. But overall, I tried to create a little sort of online personality that the students uh, could be familiar with, you know, and they felt they knew me. They felt I was present, even even though I wasn't actually physically present. You're touching on something that's really key, I think, to design for online learning, and that is social presence. Right. I mean, in the classroom, we have that automatically. Everyone's there. And, and social presence is incredibly important in order for cognitive presence to occur. Right. Right. You can't have thinking and discussion and di dissonance or anything like that that is integral to learning without social presence. Right. right. And you need social presence to have teacher presence. And by teacher presence, I don't mean that the actual teacher themselves. I, I actually mean uh, the, the forms of instructions and, and prompts of what students should be doing, the activities. That's also another form of teacher presence. So I really like the idea that you really focused and you brought that out, whether it's through the emoji or bitmoji, thinking about how you can extend it by having a meetups and discussion forums. I'm going to diverge from this, but it's you got me thinking a little bit about when we first started talking about education and you asked me to come to your classes to talk a little bit about online teaching, you were very, very skeptical of online teaching and learning. I remember that. In fact, I felt that it was my job, my duty to convert you. And I think I failed at that time. And so I'd like to take credit that I'm the reason, but I'm not. What is it that's converted you uh, and why? Um, well, I'm always the slowest to adopt new technology and then I become the big advocate for it. Uh, but you're right, I was very sceptical. But what we have to compare, what we're doing, we have to compare like and like. Mm. And uh, I think there's a great fetish now to face-to-face -face education, you know, in small, intimate circumstances. And I think that's been disrupted yeah. by COVID. I now think of it more realistically in terms of comparing what I'm doing with the face-to-face -face classes that I used to have with the same number of students, that's 120 students. And we have to ask ourselves very honestly, you know, what happens in these face-to-face -face classes of 120 students? Mm. Well, I can tell you because I've been doing it for 10 years and longer. Yeah, students sometimes come late, they leave early, they're on their computers a lot of the time. They might be slumped at the back looking over the heads of many other students. They might be doing assignments for other classes. Sometimes my projector breaks down, the videos don't work, I'm having a bad day, they're having a bad day. And this self-paced form of delivery, yeah. you know, it really does eliminate some of the realities of these large classes. I would never say that this is a substitute for small, intensive, postgraduate level seminars, mm -hmm. 
but it is an option on the table for larger classes. I, I hear you. I mean, that's another good point to make is when we choose to go into a fully online mode or a blended mode or whatever mode of delivery, it needs to be contextualized into the, the needs of the course and the students and the size and, right. and the capability of the students. That's very important to consider. I'm going to jump to that. Actually, you mentioned some about the students. Just to give you a quick anecdote on my side, I'm actually currently uh, experiencing this problem in my course. It's a fully online course and the students aren't used to this mode of delivery. All their other courses in the MA program are face-to-face lectures. And the large class, it's about 80 students, right? So it's not like I can have a small intimate class for discussions either in a face-to-face setting. So I've converted this into a fully online course similar to yours. But the students are struggling on the very first week because this is the first time. And my experience is that students bring their prior learning experience into a new learning experience and they evaluate that new experience based on their prior experience. So I'm wondering in your experience, what have you done? Like, what did you do and what approach did you take to get student buy-in, to get them comfortable with this new format? Right. Well, I think to some extent they have been primed a little bit by COVID also into online learning and also... We've all learned interesting stuff on YouTube, right? We're all familiar with learning some really great stuff on YouTube. Um, but I did have to manage some expectations. So because it was online, I think some students were expecting very slick production and like a documentary public affairs television program with slick interviews and music. And um, I had to remind them that this was not a, a public affairs program, but they were responsible for a certain amount of the course content, for example, doing the reading. I told them that this was a bit of an experiment that we were all embarking on together and I you know, appreciate their feedback. But they shouldn't expect, you know, some kind of slick television style production with a crew and everything, because I think that's what they think. The information will all be delivered to them and that that's the entire course. I position myself as somewhat as a tour guide mm. in sociology. I'm going to be, you know, showing you what's what, you know, you can decide which areas you want to concentrate in. And there are certain corners of this room that you'll have to explore for yourself in these readings. So I manage their expectations a little bit in that way. You showed me last semester a video that you created based on an animated software. Right? And you, you experimented with that a little bit. And it was to drive home a point, if I remember right, of something about being embarrassed, different types of embarrassment. Right. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Can you walk us through that? Why did you choose to do this with an animation and how did it work for you? Or you, because you're talking about, it's not slick. You're right. It's not, it's not high end. No. But it was effective still, I right. think. Well, I think, uh, and I think the same applies actually if you're in a classroom that you have to vary things a lot. You know, in a, in a regular classroom, I'll have some discussion, some video, some survey, uh, some simulation. And so the modules are a lot more interesting uh, if there's all types of social media. I think, the, you know, the, the trick is to keep things very varied. And it's good when something a little unexpected pops up. Oh, look like he's done a, a cartoon here yeah. or he's, you know... Yeah. Or he's told a, a story here, or he's diverted from the script here, or he's, he's told us a bit about himself here. See, sometimes when I was recording the videos, my cat would jump up onto the table and the students could hear the meowing. And uh, I'd flash a quick picture of the cat so they knew what that was all about. And uh, that gave it some, you know, a look, I, I think we have to have a little bit of humour in our classes as we would do in the classroom and just break things up a little That's interesting. Do you think we need to change our mindset of who we are, our persona as teachers is? Right there, you just said you reveal a little bit of your personal side to the students with this new mode of delivery. 
Whereas before, we had more of a formal persona when we go into the classroom, right? right? We're still at the center of the stage in a sense. We behave and probably talk differently than we would when we're home, comfortably in our rooms recording a video and a cat jumps up on our table. So do we have to change our mindset of who we are in this sense? Um, it's a good observation. And I think we have to work harder to create a little bit of intimacy, right? When we're not physically present with the students. And yeah. so I guess this creates a little bit of humanness that it's not just a machine that's talking to them, yeah. that there is a live person on the other end of this. And it's coming back to social presence again yes. in that sense, yeah. right? Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Can you share some specific examples and some more on the fully online format that you've used that you think may have improved student engagement or learning outcomes? As I've said, uh, my standard for comparison is the very distracted and chaotic situation of large classes. And this format, uh, it's particularly efficient. Just to give you an idea, for example, um, now I thought when I began this, I would have to repeat all the one and a half hour lectures that I had in the classroom. But in fact, I can distill into 10 minutes what it would take in the classroom to deliver in one and a half hours by the time all the students have arrived, sat down, everything set up. Mm -hmm. uh, as well, of course, I mean, there's interaction with the students in the classroom. This cuts out all that inefficiency. And many students appreciate that. Of, of course, not everybody and students are very different. But a large number of students pointed out to me that they like to cut through all the distractions. Mm and found this a very efficient way of delivering. And, you know, if the course is good and you're an enthusiastic instructor that cares about teaching, I don't think the, the manner of delivery is really that important, mm. you know, because the outcomes and the student feedback was actually fairly similar to what I would got in the classroom. It's like if you're an interactive teacher, the medium of delivery makes no difference. If you've got a good course, you're enthusiastic about it, you know how to motivate students and ask the right questions the delivery really really doesn't matter yeah and my understanding is you're doing similar things that you did in the face-to-face -face class like asking conducting polls and and then showing the results anonymously like asking them would you cheat on an exam <laughs> right and then uh, showing the the results and then having a discussion yes. around that you're still able to do that in this fully online course absolutely i could replicate most of the exercises i did in the classroom on the online course If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. Now let's get back to the conversation between Dr. McMinn and Professor Groves. Welcome back. In the first half, Julian shared with us that he was initially skeptical about online learning. But as he experimented more, he began to see some of the benefits of online teaching when compared to face-to-face -face classes with large groups of students. Our discussion also touched on the importance of setting expectations for students and adapting to different modes of learning delivery. We now continue the conversation, starting with exploring how changing the mode of delivery might open up new possibilities. Has this format then opened up any new possibilities for you, given that it, it's slightly different? Like, I mean, you're able to do the same things, but are you able to try new approaches that you didn't think of before because you've changed the mode? I mean, I'd be curious to, uh, I've now extended it to two courses. So I'm always thinking about how other courses might be adopted in the same way. 
But yes, it's more a case of thinking, how can I transfer what I've been doing in the classroom in that interactive way to uh, the online mode? Uh, and I'm still exploring uh, the kind of software and technologies that will let me do that. Uh, we've been doing it rather manually, right? Mm. Collecting student responses, but uh, I'm sure there are programs out there that could that could allow for more sophisticated... Well, I think with the rise of generative AI, that yes. we'll be able to eventually, in the near future, there'll be tools out there to help analyze discussion form activity for us. And yeah. possibly summarize common themes that students are talking about that would possibly make it more efficient for us yeah. to give feedback on their discussion form activities. I'm just speculating, right? Because right. it's so new. But it's looking promising in that sense. I mean, even uh, now my courses have a discussion forum. And mm -hmm. I would say that in that discussion forum, there's far more opportunities for students to give their opinions and interact with me than there would be in the classroom. Yeah. I check the discussion forums every day. I answer all the students' questions. And uh, they wouldn't have that opportunity in a class with 120 students. There simply wouldn't be time. Yeah. And uh, some students would be too shy to speak up in class, but would happily give their thoughts on the forums. Yeah, yeah, that's my experience as well. I mean, it, it also varies in the sense that some students, you get the really eager students who write almost an entire essay in the discussion forum. And then you get the students who just write, yes, I agree. No, I disagree. So you get that variety, right? I do. So mm. I do find that setting standards at the very beginning of the course and showing them what to expect in discussion forum helps. Yes. Right? And you give them examples and you tell them how you'll be observing it and what you'll be looking for and reminding them of what a good interaction is like. Because in a discussion forum activity, you think of it as uh, they're constructing new knowledge, Right? So the asynchronous discussion uh, can help them create new knowledge. And that is basically a form of learning, knowledge construction. Right. And if they're just saying, yes, I agree, no, I don't agree, or if they're only answering the prompt you give them and not responding to each other, there's less construction or knowledge construction occurring. The point is, what you're talking about is they do have that opportunity. They have an opportunity to do it more so than they would in a lecture theater with 100 other students. It would be very difficult to have that kind of conversation with them. Right. And I think you you have to ask the right questions and make them open-ended enough. Yeah. Uh, and then you can prompt them. Well, does anyone else have a, another point they'd like to make? So what, do you, what would you say to other faculty members who say, well, I don't have the time to answer everything that students say in, in the discussion forum? What advice would you give them? Well, it, it really doesn't take that much time. And you don't have to give huge, long responses, as I wouldn't do in the classroom. I just simply turn it into another question, mm -hmm. uh, invite other students to participate. Yeah. You know, some instructors do great participation on a discussion forum. Uh, I wouldn't know how to make a rubric to do that. Um, and I think it would inhibit uh, discussion as well. Uh, just keep it as open-ended and a little bit light. You know, sometimes students will post emojis and, and funny stuff as well. And as I say, create a kind of a, a sense of community. In that sense, then, if you're looking at interaction, we've talked about designing lecture videos, animation, interaction, engagement, discussion forms. How have you measured the success of your blended learning courses? What have you done to determine, yes, this works for me? And what metrics do you use? Well, first of all, I use some of the basic um, assessment techniques that I used on my face-to-face -face classes, and the students have scored just as well, suggesting that they're learning just as much. Mm -hmm. So I'm satisfied that they are getting a lot out of the course. Secondly, of course, I've now offered a second online course, and I have many students from the first online course enrolled in the second Indeed, my second online course has a waiting list of 200 students. Well, that's always a good sign. So, <laughs> um, 
what might be different is the experience of learning. Mm. But that's very different from the content of learning. And I think we often confuse the two. Yes. Right. Yes. We tend to forget that there's different types of knowledge that uh, we're doing. There's procedural knowledge, conceptual knowledge, content knowledge, factual knowledge. And that's all associated with what you just said there, content learning and right. um, process learning. What kind of feedback have you received from your students then? You, you mentioned that they're taking your new course. You got a waiting list. <laughs> so I'm curious, what kind of feedback have you received on your courses? Well, I'd say there were three types of feedback. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the first is the feedback that I get from my, my, my face-to-face courses, almost exactly the same comments they have on that. That reflects the different kinds of preparation that students have for the course. So many, of course, say, well, there's too much reading, and uh, could you repeat the reading in the lectures, and could we have more notes on the PowerPoint slides? You know, they want mm. everything summarised on the PowerPoint you slides. You get that in the face-to-face class, I as get you exactly said. exactly the yeah. same thing. Or sometimes I get, well, the course is out of date, maybe, because I've been talking about classical, you know, sociological theories or psychology. And if I'm talking about Freud, they think, well, Freud was writing, you know, a century ago. Why is he talking about this? Yeah. Or complaints about the exam or whatever. I get those anyway on the face-to-face classes. The second kind of feedback I get is on the videos themselves. And some of this is quite useful. So uh, a lot of students, when I first did, said, well, we like subtitles on the videos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I was scared that I'd have to type out everything I said. But actually, no. um, My teaching assistant found that if you did it in Google, if you looked at the videos using Chrome, then you can use their automatic caption service. Uh, which actually is very accurate, and the students were very happy with that. Uh, So that was very useful. A few of them said to make the videos more exciting, although, as I say, uh, you know, this isn't a slick audiovisual production. So that was a second kind of suggestion. And then the the final uh, responses were those who clearly, and there are some students like this, who do prefer the face-to-face class. But that that was actually the smallest number of comments uh, in that category. As I've been very fortunate that in terms of from the administration and my division, particularly my former chair, has been very open-minded about letting me do this. And I know that other departments, they don't let their professors do this. Mm-hmm. And I've been very fortunate to have their support on that. In some ways, you're kind of touching on a theme relevant to thinking about the whole program level or even the curriculum level of students. You're right that every student is different. Some welcome fully online teaching and learning. Others still prefer the face-to-face. But if we look at the way some programs are set up at UST or other universities, we don't have a lot of flexibility for students, right? We're bound by a timetable, we're bound by the number of classrooms that we have, and students who might have other things in their lives, part-time jobs, family responsibilities and that, and live far away from campus, uh, might have constraints. If we have programs where some of the courses are offered fully online and maybe as choice of fully online or a face-to-face, then we're opening up flexibility for students. And then we have the students who are comfortable with being there online and those who want face-to-face can go to the other section that's face-to-face. I mean, there are options out there. I'm wondering if that's worth exploring. Yes, I totally agree. And there are some professors who prefer online and others that prefer face-to-face as well. Now, One thing that has helped me with having these big courses online is that I also teach a couple of smaller courses Mm -hmm. and I can spend more time thinking about more intensive assessment and more intensive interaction with those courses. So Mm -hmm. it's really allowed me to divide my teaching tasks up. But you see, I do think we're setting ourselves up to fail a little bit at the university because some of the things we're expected to deliver now 
cannot really be delivered in these large classes that we offer. So some of these common core courses, mm. I see we're being asked to evaluate all kinds of really, fairly specific and difficult to evaluate competencies. Mm. And yet some of these common core courses are being approved with class sizes of about 120. I just don't think it's realistic mm. to set ourselves up for such an ambitious pedagogical program uh, if you're going to have classes of that size. Right, right, right. So, you know, I think we need to scale down a little bit our ambitions about what we say we're going to do in these classes um, if they're of that particular size. Yeah, and there's also the possibility of a mixed mode in offering different sections so that we can cut down the class size and offer some fully online self-paced and others not. Right. Right, if we want to open up these type of courses to students. It's an interesting dilemma and it's something that I'm not sure any university has the right answer to this at the moment. There's a lot to explore. I want to come back to the students actually and their learning experience because that's kind of what you're talking about as well. One of the things I found in the differences is that when I have lecture videos, students have that opportunity to go back and rewatch them and review it. Whereas if I had the face-to-face classes, less so. I mean, yes, I could put up a recording of the video, but the le- watching a lecture video of me in front of the stage, and it's not the same, right? And it's not really designed for viewing at home anyway. I'm wondering if we can be doing more about this uh, for students to make what we're teaching a little bit more accessible. Yes, I think that the uh, online mode is very accessible and suited for students who benefit from hearing things a second time and and going back and really thinking hard about the issues. And I can see that on the discussion forums because they ask much more carefully thought out questions because they've been able to really absorb that again and again. I mean, I think we all, it's like uh, sometimes we like to watch a movie again because uh, we see different things in it, right? Each time we we watch it, something else comes out. So... um, I think that's a real bonus of the online format. Any advice for teachers that are thinking about... Oh, I definitely say uh, if you were in my situation and you've been giving these, you know, large lectures uh, for many years and you're losing a bit of enthusiasm for it, this is something that you might actually enjoy. Be very cathartic thinking about how you can put these lectures into 10 minute sections and you'll think of ways also to explain the material better and more lively ways to produce it. I will say this, though, it takes a long time to develop one of these courses and just to give you an idea a 10 minute video might take two days to create after all the planning and the the slides and the powerpoints i required about 55 of those for my courses now fortunately again my division were very accommodating they gave me a course remission to record those but it took a good part of an entire summer or three months to get one of these things up and running It does require some work and some preparation, but once you've done it, it's really fantastic and very liberating because now that hard work of presenting the material is over and now you can just deal with students' reactions to it rather than the exhausting work of coming in and delivering it in one of these very chaotic classroom situations. Yeah, and it frees you up to do things like coming back to your point about the Common Core and these competencies. You're right, they are some of them very difficult to assess, very difficult to measure and very difficult to teach in a sense. It's not to say that they're not important, they are, right? But if you free up that lecture time and you're able to go into the classroom, and now I'm thinking beyond just a fully online course, I'm also thinking blended or other formats. That allows you to do more active learning in the classroom where you can kind of practice some of these competencies, observe them, give feedback on students. And that's where the learning occurs. Absolutely. There were a few aha moments 
uh-huh. in the whole process. And this is what I also encourage colleagues to do if they're thinking of doing this, is try the videos out on friends first. <laughs> see what, And, you know, sit down at the kitchen table and play a 10-minute video to a friend and just observe them. Yes. And you can tell very quickly where they lose interest and where they're animated. Yes. It was funny. Uh, I went abroad this summer and saw my parents and we were in a taxi together to uh, Heathrow Airport and my mum said, so Julian, show us one of your videos. What have you been doing out there in Hong Kong? And I simply opened my computer and played one of these videos. And after about five minutes, the taxi driver leaned around and said, oh, that sounds really interesting. I'd like to take a course like that. Excellent. (laughs) So um, I tried many of these videos out on friends first. I think I sent you some. I sent all kinds of people, relatives, people not involved in my work at all. I would send randomly these. So what do you think of this? And that was really helpful to get some feedback from other people because you're so immersed in it. You don't know how it sounds from a point of view of another person. Absolutely. Um, So this is one thing that I I found very helpful is to try these videos out with other people and get their responses. That's really good advice. Um, I I recommend others doing that as well because you're right. It's in your mind. You make sense, right? It's kind of what we call the mastery bias, right? You're the master of this domain. You, you, You know what you're talking about. Yeah. And... You present it as if, yeah, you'll get this. You'll be interested in this. Yeah. Oh, hold on. <laughs> You're not. So it, it, having that opportunity to do that, it really helps, I think. It does, yeah. yeah. And then uh, as we, as I deliver the course over the semester, students will find mistakes or errors here yep. and there. And with the PowerPoint, you can just really, with you don't have to record the whole thing again. You just replace the slide. You know, over the years, I expect the whole thing to be evolving and improving and updating. Excellent. You know? Great. Thank you very much, Julian. It's, uh, we can probably talk a little bit more about this, but uh, I'll let you be. And I really appreciate you coming in and uh, giving us a little bit of your background and how you move your course to fully online. Is there anything else that you'd like to say? Or uh, No, other than that, it was my pleasure. And uh, if anybody wants to see some of my videos, uh, they can just email me and I'll be glad to share a little bit more about my experiences uh, and what I've done. Thank, thank you. Fantastic. Thank you for that offer. Thank you for listening to Enlight, brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu, and a big thank you to our editorial team, Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, And we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.